This is Kevin. And this is Ron. And this episode of Your Valuable Home is brought to you by Provia. Provia, a faith-based company that makes entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone, and metal roofing, all of incomparable quality. Welcome to Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast for listeners who believe that residential real estate is the way to build wealth. Hi, I'm Kevin Kennedy, a working contractor and host of Your Valuable Home. Your Valuable Home is for homeowners and investors alike who want to acquire and improve real estate based upon educated decisions. And I'm Ron Milk, Your Valuable Home producer and co-host. Our weekly one-hour podcast is not about doing it yourself. It's about hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. And it's not about flipping. It's about buying and holding to build wealth. Homeowners and investors strive to create wealth and financial freedom with real estate and avoid costly home improvement mistakes. Your valuable home is for you. The Project Replay made redoing our kitchen and bath trouble-free. Your horror stories have kept us from hiring the wrong contractors. The college segments have taught us how to keep toxins out of our home, what to look for in replacement windows, how to borrow sensibly against home equity, and more. College teaches investors like me how to freshen up my rentals without spending a fortune. Their suggestions are great for ROI. It's time for Your Valuable Home. Well, Kev, you've been working as you usually do on some window jobs, on a big window job, right? How many windows? And the Provia windows. That is correct. Right. Uh, it was a total of 13 windows just in mm-hmm. one room. And one room? One room. It's a big room. But one of the nicer parts of the window that we're going to be talking about is this custom window we matched an existing company's window that had failed. So I said, well, listen, why don't we just do it in a Provia window? It's going to save you a lot of money. So I priced it out a couple different ways so he can see the difference between the windows. And I said, look, here's your existing window that had failed after 15 years. Uh, you can go to the- well, you, got, you got good wear out of it, right? Good good use out of it. Yeah, 15 is not bad, but you really want to get about a 25 to 30 years out of a window yeah. is where I like to be. But uh, he said, listen, I just wanted to let you know after the, I got the Provia price from you, I did get another quote. He said, it was triple your cost. I said, well, I understand. The same product? No, no, it was another window. But I said, well, listen, here's what I'll do to be transparent. I'll show you the cost difference between the two. Mm-hmm. And Provia is much less expensive. And I said to him, well, now look at the window that you had there. And then I brought a sample of the sash of the double hung. Mm-hmm. He said, this, wait a minute, this is vinyl? I said, yeah, it doesn't look like it. It's got a nice OG no, bevel on the no, side. Yeah. He's like, this is, for this price? I said, yeah, that's what they're all for. And I was even telling about the warranty. I said, listen, one thing about the warranty is something ever happens to this window. They don't question it. They just ship you out a new one. So I showed him there's a warranty label on this. And I said, don't ever take that off because they will warranty for anything you do. That's broken what, glass, whatever. Everything. Somebody throws a ball through the window or something like that. They're going to get you covered because we yeah. just had somebody throw a, um, a lacrosse ball through it. And Provi doesn't question. They just said, here it is. Bring the other sash back. And then we brought it back. And hmm. it's, I love the company. I well, really yeah. do. I mean, that's a good, solid company. That's that's something that, that hardly exists anymore today, you know, uh, in, in the overall... Uh, universe of companies. And especially in the, the product industry that we're in, because nobody likes to cover warranties. I mean, yeah. I got the bigger, the, the biggest companies out there, they don't, they just try to blow you off and see if you go away. It's one and done to them. Yeah. So, and listen, I've been using Provia for over 11 years now. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I just started using them. I've been using them because I love the product. Mm-hmm. And that's why I said it was a perfect match for us to get together because yeah. I tell you, I've been, I love the product. Yeah. So we, we started doing the windows. And one of the things I explained to them also that nobody else, that he, well, the guy who got the price from is that everything else we're doing. Those are replacement windows they were going to be putting in inside the existing rotted wood. 
That's why he was replacing because it was all rotted wood. Is it what, rotted wood frames? Yeah. Oh, so I said, Lord. no. I said, I'm taking the entire window out. I'm stripping it down. I'm going to put new rubber and new flashing. But all that rot that you see there is gone. And then the nicer part. Who do something like that? Well, think about this. A lot of those big companies, they sell a good game. But they don't perform to way. Well, it's going to swell them down, too. You want to come in and slap it up. Boom, boom, boom. Make done. a ton yeah. of money. You got yeah. to cover the advertising. See you later. That, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's what we sold the job with. See, a lot of people like dealing with us because I'm the one that's doing the work. So Dave mm-hmm. and I physically did the work. So now I'm going to be doing his front door. Now I'm doing his bathroom. Now I'm going to be doing the kitchen. So I've got a long-term customer set out of that. But it was the Provia job that got me to get all of that. And then, of course, the honesty. Well, listen, here's how it's going to work. Is that these windows are rotted. He's got tape over the window because it was so cold because they were just rotten, falling apart. Wow. So I said, number one is that... that re- the windows or the frames? The or whole, both, both, both. The, whole, the whole thing. Yeah. So I posted on the social media the, the font finished pictures, but we had tape on the window. Just like it wasn't as bad as the last week's job where we were talking about where the, the handyman put tape on the window to cover the rot. This gentleman here knew that he had a lot of rot, and that's why he wanted to get the windows replaced. But he always said the windows, it, it, the cold, ever there's cold for a good window, they were always cold. So I said, well, we'll see. As I took the trim off the existing window, there was no insulation around the existing window to the existing frame. I said, well, that's probably one of the reasons why it was cold. The air was the rot. The cold was no insulation. You're getting everything new. So the rubber, the foam, everything that we did. And he said, it's much more quieter now. So I, I, cause he, I knew he was very busy. Didn't want to get uh, to come on the air, but I, it was just a beautiful job. But what was nice about this is that, and I sent it to Chris over at Provi. I showed her the pictures. It was a lot of windows that had transom over top, but the door had a custom elliptical transom that was yeah, put over saw, top of it. Yeah, that. I saw that. It's sharp, very sharp. And for a third the price, it's definitely the way to go. They went in, and I tell you, that's the nice part about these windows. They are heavy, but they operate so nicely. Even the patio door, uh, he wanted to help us. I said, listen, he's like, I, I didn't get the furniture out of the way. And he said, well, this, this patio door is heavy. And I said, what do you see when we install it? I said, it's a very heavy door. Well, the wife came over and I said, put your two fingers out slide the door and the thing just kept sliding over and i said well that's about the provia door yeah, if, they feel solid too they feel really solid the provia doors. I love here's them. just an aside how would you measure for that elliptical um window that you had custom made well this was easy uh, so what you, you have, measure the high point the two low points and then they it just draw an arc yeah well it's not a full elliptical transom now what that is again you'll see it on the social media site right. your valuable home on instagram or facebook but what it is, is it, they call it spring lines. Now, what spring lines are is that when you see an elliptical transom, the arch goes all the way from the top down to the bottom. Mm-hmm. Well, this one has straight lines up the side, and then at a certain point, the arch will start to the turn starts, at that. Yeah, yeah, okay. So basically, with the door, 72 inches, so I measured 72 at the bottom. Then I took the spring line, and then I built that up to 12 inches where the existing window was, and then I do is measure the middle. And then when you get the top, it just falls into place basically geometry that you did when you were in high school this is how you figure a lot of the stuff out and it worked out perfect Hmm. so what was one of the nicer parts with doing this but here's one of the things that i i noticed now this is where it was tricky for me i actually shortened that spring line because the windows when they were originally installed were sitting on top of the door and were putting weight on the door i actually put a little bit of a slight lvl beam in there to take the weight off of the door and the window so that a little bit more support so it was a little bit of calculation on my mind, but that's what I said to the guy. So listen, I'm not worried about it. I do it all the time. And it worked out perfect because it fit inside the existing opening. Now, what we do is we took all the siding down, stripped everything down, 
The Tyvek was there. We married all the rubbers, Tyvek rubbers and the Tyvek flashing and the Tyvek tapes all around and then foamed it. And then I did all new trim. So I built everything from you scratch. Put the siding back then, right? And then put all the siding back. Wow. But it's a big fit, job. It was. It was mm -hmm. three days. Mm -hmm. But I said to him, I said, what were the other guys? He said, in and out in the day. Well, I said, because they're leaving everything. That's why. Because they did, they did, it was like half a job. <laughs> Maybe not even half a job. No. But I said, we didn't solve the problem of the rot, because that would all still been there. Uh, number two, because when we pulled the window out, you could see the bottom sill was completely rotted out. The moisture got behind the vinyl, went in behind it, and just started rotting it out. And it was a cladding piece that was put on there. And I said, listen, it happens. If you don't maintain or maybe seal it up or the seal broke, that's what's happening. Then you have the rot that's coming in. Well, once the water's getting in, it's going to keep rotting. And I said, it was the perfect timing that you replaced them now because if it kept going, the window was already so rotted, it looked like mulch, that it was going to start getting to the windowsill, which had no rubber on it from the builder. Right. And the house was built 16 years ago. Well, there should have been rubber around it at that point. If we started in 2000. Yeah, so that seal's rotting out. It was showing signs. Mm -hmm. So it was wet. And we haven't got much rain around here, but it was wet because of that heavy storm that we uh, had a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. It was still a little damp, but it was nice that everything went perfect. The guy loved the job, uh, and that's another success story for us in Provia for putting in such a great window. Great products make great outcomes. All right, Kev, we never fail to have a horror story, right? They keep The hits keep on coming. Yeah, well, it's good that we're getting more listeners across the country. But this one I spoke to, uh, it was about roofing. And now it's probably what about 50% of our horror stories have been roofing and windows, most of it. Not historically over the years, but recently, and I'd say in the last six to, six months to a year. Well, because everybody's becoming a contractor. Mm -hmm. And if that's going to happen, it's where's that trust come in? Look, people are, they, they don't have patience anymore. Basically, they want to get everything done. They want to get it started right away and get it done right away. Well, Americans essentially are not into deferred gratification. It's got to be now. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So after listening to a couple shows, uh, basically uh, she hired somebody to do her roof and she took everything under consideration. The flashing, she said everything, everything was going well. She signed the contracts. The best part is she didn't give any money. I said, all right, so what's the problem? Didn't replace the flashing ice shield. She's like, well, we didn't see any of that because we came home from work and my husband noticed that the roof was probably about three quarters of the way done. And the contract stated for them to strip the layer of roofing down put that ice shield, put the flashing down, put everything down, and the, that was not done. I said, well, what do you not, mean? None of done? that was done? She said, well, they took the, uh, they loaded the roof, no dumpster was there, we left, came back, uh, the subs were there, and they shingled over top of no the No dumpster existing. because they didn't have anything to dump, right? right? <laughs> so they instead of just throwing it on the ground and leaving it there, they yeah. decided to put the roof over top of the roof. So our biggest question was, how do I fix this? I said, now you have uh, that contractor to come back and put in two layers of roofing to be removed. You never got it done. I said, How's, how does that work out? I said, well, the good thing is you didn't pay him any money and the contract states in there. So she sent a copy of the contract over. I looked at everything over and it says removing one layer of roofing shingles and installing new ice shield flashing is, pipe Is collars. it possible that something cr like cra as crazy as this happened that they took some of the shingles off in, in certain parts of the roof and didn't in the other parts? Don't know that yet. Uh, but yeah, it's possible, right? I've, well, yeah, well, they got home and they said they, they saw the, because they had a black roof and they were doing like a light colored grayish roof, like a pewter roof. And they noticed that the black shingles were still up there and they were shingling over top of that. Plus, there were still in the dumps there and there was no trash. So it's a pretty good indication that they left the first the layer on The thing was, yeah, okay. Which, hmm. Wow. It, I said, look, it's nothing you can't do. But I said, the first question I had is, do you have a leak? She's like, yeah, we had a couple leaks. And that's one of the reasons why we decided uh, to get it. It hasn't rained much, so... You know, we decided, hey, you know what, well, now it's time. Let's get a roof. And uh, we found somebody that said they can do it right away. 
I said, that didn't ring a bell that somebody could start immediately the next day. So they sign contracts. Because they're sitting on their hands with nothing to do. Well, that's the whole thing with everybody today. They think they're a good contractor. And listen, I, there's about a handful that I know, probably on the East Coast, that are going to be really good. But here's what roofing is. You ready? Here's roofing 101. It's somebody who think they can sell the job, which are some of them are pretty good salesmen, that sub it out to people they probably don't know. The quality control is absolutely horrible. And that's the new companies today. And if you don't know what you're getting, because we did a show a couple weeks ago about this, talking about uh, roofers, how they how they operate. And if they're going to be this way, you've got to put all of your eggs in one basket and put a leap of faith that this roofer is going to do the right job. And all it is is salesmen and subs. And this now they've got another problem. They've got to deal with it. But I said, it's the aggravation you got to deal with of then having to rip everything down and then restart it again. I wouldn't pay them a dime. They were asking for the money. And I said, I wouldn't pay them a dime because they didn't do what the contract said. Rip it off and do it over. Just do the job right, right according to exactly. the contract. Look, things exactly. can happen. Just fix it. Yeah. And if they did it wrong the first time, it was the roofer's fault from the beginning because the quality control wasn't and there. How to much, check. you know how much you paid for all this? Uh, again, I didn't ask the questions. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, I don't need to know the price. I just need to know that the job was done correctly is what I was and telling. And she didn't hand over any money in advance? Not a, not a dime, which not was dime. perfect. Which surprises me. If somebody's going to mess up like that, you'd probably try to get some money up front, wouldn't they? Well, if you're going to be in and out in a day, I don't think it's that big of an issue. So, I mean, I, I could see the contractor or this roofer trying to build a, a relationship up with her so they can get more work out of the job and more work from them or referrals. But if you're going to do the job wrong from the beginning and then say, "Give me, get me paid, and then I'll fix it later, is not a solution. She was obviously not there as the roof was being done because you, you would notice that. You go outside to pick up your paper or whatever and you notice that the, the old shingles are not being removed, right? That is correct. But they, they <clears throat> and were, you're not getting hit on the head with the old shingles. <laughs> well, cleanup is one of the, that's the hardest part about roofing is the cleanup. It was a walkable roof. Cause I always ask, is it unwalkable? And that's where the, when you look at the slope or the steep part of the roof, can you walk that? Unwalkable, it's pretty steep. So that means you're in around a nine pitch, eight pitch from, as you're getting older, uh, which means every 12 inches out, it goes eight inches up. Was it like a Dutch inches. colonial or something like that? No, it's just a split level house mm-hmm. and it should have been done the correct way. But I said, you know, one of the big things that you have to do is now you're listening to the show, go back to some of the archive shows. And we talked about roofing the proper way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yes, my way to every roofer will cost more, but you, the homeowners, will never have a problem by doing it the correct way. It's just really insurance insurance policy that doing these extra steps are going to really minimize or very rarely. Ha- I've never had a problem with any of my jobs that I've done. So well, I'm talking 34 years in business. Well, why don't I have problems, but everybody else is having problems? So if you do it right the first time, you're not going to, that, that's the whole issue of getting a good roofer. But you ever notice there's roofers are popping up these signs, new signs that I've never seen. I've been working in Sarah for 34 years and some of these companies, I don't even know who they are, but they're all saying that they've been business for 30 years. And like I said, we did that last couple of shows ago, a guy was stating he's been in business for over 30 years or 20 some years. And we just looked at his HICPA license. That's Pennsylvania Home Improvement Consumer Protection Act. The number he got was just registered a few years ago. So you can't lie. So if you're lying, then you really shouldn't be in business anymore because the attorney general can come down on you for lying to try course, to sell a yeah, job. Of course. But if this is the whole industry today, you know, God bless everybody that they got to deal with it or just listen to our show and uh, we're going to make it a lot easier for you. But with this, it was a perfect timing. She listened to us. But uh, again, it's a leap of faith into the contractor that they are going to do the right job. And if not, how are they going to fix it? So are they going to fix it? But, yeah, but the other lesson to be learned here is if they're supposed to be, be taking the shingles off, make sure you're there to see that that, in fact, is being... How about take being pictures? Done. Take pictures, yeah. It's cell phone. Have the, have, the, have the contractor take pictures. 
But if yeah, they can't show you the, the shingles being ripped off, chances are they're all still on there, right? <laughs> and you can easily spot a, rock, a re-roof uh, when you look at it. Well, a good contractor would be easily be able to spot yeah, it. Well, it looks heavy. It looks heavy. You see the different layers. Yeah. Whenever well, you look at the edge. Three feet, you'll see there's a little bit of a wet layer that yeah. stops and it starts again. Yeah. It's because it's a standard weight shingle that's underneath and they're putting a metric shingle. And those five-eighths of an inch, I say cruel to... 12 inches or more, then that's when you'll see that. Then it will go right. back off of that. That's why that's there. So just make sure the contractor does the right job. But again, Kevin at yourvaluablehome.net, send me the contract, cover the name, Review cover the, the price. Contract. Yep, absolutely. And I'll just go over with it, make a couple changes and make it easy on yourself. Now listen, stick with us. Anybody who's involved with your community, no matter where you live in this country, it will be worth listening to what's happening with one PS it's called in Palm Springs, California, and dozens of neighborhood associations that all work together for the common good. So stick with us. All right, we'll be back after we take a quick break. We've been telling our listeners about Provia entry doors and windows, but there's a lot more to Provia, right, Kev? Yeah, you bet. Provia is your one source for professional class entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone, and incredible metal roofing. In fact, Provia makes all the product you need to create the perfect home exterior. They do it all the Provia way, the professional way. Hey, Kev, didn't you just use Provia siding and doors on your home? Yep, the look of my siding and doors have landed me a ton of work. Okay, so what sold you on Provia vinyl siding? The same that sells my customers. Provia Siding Reflex Heat protects against UV rays and solar heat buildup that ensures long-lasting color. Then there's a range of traditional, insulated, and decorative siding profiles, all with the look and feel of real wood. And a selection of now colors, including dark and bold hues. So, what's your take on Provia manufactured stone? The molds of Provia stone are created from natural stones, giving it a quarried stone look with a great range of shapes and sizes. Customers love them, and the 10 choices of color palettes, Provia stone goes with any environment. To see how Provia Siding and Stone combine to create the Provia Perfect Exterior with great curb appeal, visit Provia.com. Click on Designer Collections under the Design It tab. Hey, Kevin here, installing another Provia entry door. I do about 50 or more a year. Schlage knobs, hardware, and handle sets make a great complement to any Provia fiberglass or steel entry door. Provia and Schlage, I think, are the best combination of curb appeal, style, and security money can buy in entry doors. And Schlage now has a complete line of Wi-Fi locks, including the new Encode Plus, which can be locked or unlocked with the tap of an Apple Watch. Amazing. Provia and Schlage, there's no better combination for entry doors. All right, Ryan, that is time for the featured segment. I believe we're going west of here, going to California. To going back HOAs. to California. We were in California when we did the coolest neighborhoods in America. Correct. And we were helped by a guy by the name of Eric Chiel. Phenomenal. Guy. Eric's back with us again. And we're going to be talking about something that's it's a story of cooperation, camaraderie, community pride. Boy, where do you see that stuff happening today, right? It's happening in Palm Springs, California. And Eric's here to share what is actually happening with our listeners. Eric was very instrumental when we did the uh, best. That was an unbelievable cool interview. Cities. Yeah, that cool was great. Yeah, okay. He helped us gather a mother load of, I mean, still, we couldn't have done it without him. Videos and facts that tell the story of the mid-century modern Mecca that is Palm Springs. And it is. It's just that. Eric's back with three colleagues who are as proud and passionate as he about their gem of a town, the California desert. It's in a valley in the, the probably about an hour and 15 minutes east of L.A. All are deeply involved and benefit from 1PS. Remember that name, 1PS, a a quite unique partnership between an ever-growing number of neighborhood associations, Palm Springs government, and in many cases, local service organization. They're making their city one of the best, most inclusive towns in America to visit or call home. Really cool stuff. 
and we need more of it in this in this country. In addition to creating his own neighborhood organization in historic Twin Palms in um, Palm Springs, Eric was a board member and communications officer of a group named One PS, the organized neighborhoods of Palm Springs. So there's like an umbrella organization that pulls all of this together. Eric, it's great to work with you again. Please introduce us to uh, some of your colleagues, well, all your colleagues that are on the line. Thank you for the generous introduction, Ron, and thank you for having me back. One really quick statement, if I may, before I introduce the others, and that is just to set the tone, everything that 1PS and that the neighborhood do, we do independently. Uh, we, we are not staffed nor funded by city government, so it's not a matter of city government shifting funds from one department to another. All of our work is truly incremental to the city budget, and it's additive for the benefit of the city. With that perspective, I am so pleased to introduce first Denise Goolsby. Denise was a reporter and a columnist for the Palm Springs Daily Newspaper, but she left that role in 2016 to become the City of Palm Springs Office of Neighborhoods Manager. And in that capacity, she now works with representatives from 52 organized neighborhoods and with other city staff to marshal resources required to problem-solve neighborhood issues and to address resident concerns. We also have with us Kathy Cohn. Kathy has been the chair or the vice chair of 1PS for seven years, leading that organization through several planning retreats, the development of a strategic plan, hosting the Neighborhoods USA National Conference, and routinely providing input to city council on issues of interest to neighborhoods. She lives in the Sunrise Park neighborhood, for which she's been that organization's vice chair and its representative to 1PS since its inception in 2014. And then rounding out our team is Megan Rodriguez. Megan is the vice president of her own neighborhood organization, the Desert Highland Gateway Estates Community Action Association, and she's a member of the 1PS Communications Committee. She's also an Air Force veteran and a serial entrepreneur. Okay, let's just ju jump right into this. Denise, again, I want to thank you. Denise hooked me up with Eric when we did the uh, Coors Neighborhoods of America, and yeah. boy, we really appreciate that. As the city's Office of Neighborhoods Manager, would you tell us how and when Palm Springs neighborhoods first began to become organized? Sure. Actually, it was Megan's neighborhood that was first organized back in 1967 when Gateway Estates became the first city's organized neighborhood. That development was a new development in North Palm Springs, and they were established as a way to kind of bring people together and welcome new neighbors to the neighborhood and help create activities for the youth of the community. Moving forward through the decades, neighborhoods then began forming to give themselves a greater voice at City Hall. Coming up into those decades at the time, the main issue was basically frustration with the city's growth and pinging on neighborhoods across the city and residents didn't like that the city wasn't listening to their concerns. So what the group did was they successfully lobbied and pushed for an office at City Hall that would be dedicated to the neighborhoods and serve as an official liaison to the coalition. A city staff member was assigned liaison duties as an office of neighborhood involvement and public participation was created in 2001. So at that time, 2001, we had an office that would work with this coalition of neighborhoods at the time, the predecessor to 1PS, which was formed by Deepwell Estates, Historic Tennis Club, Las Palmas, the Movie Colony, and Racket Club. So that was the beginning. So the city actually needed a way to officially recognize these groups and serve as an umbrella organization over the groups, correct? 
Correct. Uh, in 2004, David Reddy, the city manager at the time, worked with the city attorney to create an ordinance to officially create the Office of Neighborhood Involvement, which has developed throughout the years and allow for the creation of the independent Palm Springs Neighborhood Involvement Committee, which would become 1PS in later years. And the ordinance passed was passed by the city council in 2005. Well, that sort of brings us to the to today. Can you relate 1PS2 to what's happening today? And how do elected officials and city staff interact with 1PS and the neighborhood organizations? What's really great about the organization and the um, communication is that city staff and elected officials have direct and consistent contact with 1PS and the neighborhood organizations. The establishment of the relationship has provided for a really a timely dissemination of in- information, exchange of ideas on topics of interest to the community. What's cool is the elected Elected officials, city manager, and top-level staff attend monthly 1PS meetings, as well as neighborhood annual meetings, where residents have the opportunity to ask questions and receive updates directly from the decision makers. And it also opens up the the communication for email, phone calls. And so the uh, residents have um, really quite direct access with uh, city staff and city officials. That's super. And you're at sort of the vortex of all those interactions, aren't you? What's your role as officer of neighborhoods manager? I like the word vortex. That's great. I see my role first and foremost as a conduit between the residents and city hall, not just a problem solver, but really trying to bring people and resources together to answer questions and address many, many issues. Uh, what I want to do is make life easier as possible for resident staff and in turn council members, even just little small things like people will call up and say, hey, where's my permit in the building department? And, you know, I could just walk across the hall or give a ring and, and find out for them and call them back. It's just the little things that really make a difference. Um, I'm also part of the communications department now, so I run some of our social media accounts, including Nextdoor, Twitter, and Instagram. But for me, it's all about communicating with the public, letting them know about upcoming events, street closures, anything that might be helpful for residents to know. Your background, too. I mean, how long have you been a resident of Palm Springs? So you know you know the turf out there, too, right? Right. I've been a, I moved to Palm Springs. I'm in Palm Desert now, but I've moved to Palm Springs uh, full-time in 1997. So I've been here a long time. I've had the opportunity to be in the tourism field, the reporting field, and just being able to work with all sorts of people across the board. And so this is like my sweet spot, just working with the community, trying to make things better, telling people's stories, listening to people's stories. The experience is wonderful. I probably have one of the best jobs in the city, for yeah, sure. Yeah, it sounds like a fascinating job. Just uh, give us an uh, umbrella summary of what are the services uh, the city provides to 1PS. Okay, so as part of my uh, Office of Neighborhoods Manager, we have a little bit of a budget for uh, 1PS, so about $8,000 to provide for the annual meetings. Each neighborhood has to send out invitations to invite them to the annual meetings. We pay for postage and the, and the uh, mailings and things like that. I'm here for anything the Board of Directors needs. I set up monthly membership meetings, attend community meetings, plan and help coordinate the uh, 1PS picnic and community expo, help new neighborhoods that are organizing. Basically, I do anything that needs to be done. You know, my the Board of directors, 1PS, uh, the representatives and alternates, they are just so great to work with. And um, I really do anything for them. And they they pretty much do just about anything for me. So it's a great relationship. It sounds that way. Bring in NUSA, N-U-S-A, NUSA, Neighborhoods USA. It's made up of neighborhood organizations nationwide and the city staffs uh, that serve them. And what is NUSA and how does Palm Springs participate with it? So NUSA, Neighborhoods USA, is a national nonprofit organization. It was created in 1975 to share information experience to build and strengthen neighborhood organizations. Palm Springs, way before my time uh, with the city coming in at 2016, they've been really active with NUSA. They frequently attended annual conferences where 1PS members and city staff have presented well-received workshops. They've been really, really involved. The former 1PS chair, now a city council member and former mayor for the city of Palm Springs, was um, on the board of NUSA when I first came to the city. And so she's really instrumental in getting us even 
more involved with the organization. Palm Springs has won some pretty big awards from NUSA, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Individual neighborhoods in the city have won Best Neighborhood Program Awards, including for our Bladeside Program, the Annual Picnic and Community Expo, Tockwoods Creek Yacht Club, <laughs> fun name, uh, a group that keeps a section of the Tockwoods Creek wash area cleaned and maintained. Other awards include uh, Best Electronic Newsletter, and uh, more recently, Erica 1PS received a first place award for his 1PS Guide to Palm Springs Neighborhoods, a beautiful glossy magazine that contains information about the history of the individual neighborhoods as well as 1PS. So we're, we're very well represented at NUSA. Yeah, I'm going to put another uh, feather in Eric's hat here. He sent me three copies of this thing. This magazine is really put together. And the great thing about it is that if you want to visit Palm Springs, it's a great guide to that because it breaks down the neighborhoods and the stars that live there and all that stuff. But if you're thinking about buying in Palm Springs, it's also great for that reason too. Absolutely right. Yep. Can a business or another service organization become a 1PS member? No, 1PS represents the interests of our neighborhoods and by extension, their residents. There's no other group with that focus. The business community has several groups representing their interests like Chamber of Commerce, Desert Business uh, Association, which is the LGBTQ Business Association, a group called Main Street and others. But if businesses or organizations have an issue or request or an announcement that relates to neighborhoods, we make time available to them at our meetings. All right, here's something that's unique here. In nearly all cities that actively support neighborhood organizations, the organizations are arms of the city government, which funds and staffs them. That is not the case in Palm Springs. This is all organic coming out of the neighborhoods, correct? That's correct. That's how it started. It was really basically uh, the neighborhoods, the residents had something to say to city government. There was not a a, uh, a direct conduit um, or really any um, formal way for them to reach out to the uh, to the council members or the city staff. And this really this really opened that area of communication. Um, and it is really special. I mean, that's it's a lot of neighborhoods. It's a lot of they put. They've created an office, my office. They've created a budget. They've created the opportunity for me to really do anything I can to help these um, this organization. I don't know any other cities and out here in the desert, at least, that have uh, city staff that are dedicated to that that um, that cause. I think you'd find it hard put to uh, to find examples of it in cities around the country. Certainly not in big cities, but your city is what a population about fifty thousand, as I recall it. Yep, a little shy of fifty thousand at the twenty twenty census. And uh, oh, another thing. I wanted to mention it was the um, the biggest award we, uh, we received from NUSA and, and for a smaller city like our size. Normally, the NUSA conferences, we've been to Omaha, Birmingham, El Paso, different cities like this. But in um, 2017, the city of Palm Springs was selected as a host city for the 2019 NUSA conference. And 1PS volunteers, and there are hundreds of them, formed the core of the organizing committee. And they committed countless hours creating tours and workshops and arranging for keynote speakers, including our uh, Senator Barbara Boxer from California and Father Greg Boyle, who is the founder of Homeboy Industries. The work that went into it was intense for many, many months, and the conference attracted more than 600 attendees from 29 states and Washington, D.C., the Bahamas, Canada, and Japan, and the four-day event featured 58 workshops and 17 tours, and that was all done by volunteer 1PS leadership. It was amazing to see that come together. Well, you know what? You, based on this summary, and believe me, this was a great umbrella summary of what's going on and how the city relates to 1PS and all that. Uh, but it seems to me that in NUSA, you're not just a member of NUSA, but you are a force within NUSA, correct? Uh, well, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, anyone that's been able to um, have, bring the, um, 
the convention to their own city, win that many awards, be as well respected as the city of Palm Springs, especially for our size. Yeah, absolutely. They, we're on the map in there in in Nusa's um in Nusa's. Sure, world, sounds so. that way to me. Yeah. Well, Denise, this has been a great overview of what's going on out there, and now we're going to go to Kathy. I understand that you've served as chairperson and vice chair of the board of directors of 1PS over the past seven years, something like that. Tell me more about the organization. Well, it was initially formed as uh, Denise so wisely suggested because this relationship between the city was not exactly a healthy one, I would say. And so when the organization came together, it was not incorporated. But in a sense, its uh, origin, we have become a 501c4 nonprofit. And you probably are aware that that is oftentimes referred to as a public benefit um, meaning that the, that the organization is formed and operates to benefit the public. So that occurred, I think, in, in 2016. So now we have some of the requirements of, the, of that status, which includes, you know, bylaws and that we need to follow and an organizational structure with a uh, board of directors. And it has five officers and uh, seven at-large members. So it, it really gets to those people go back to their own neighborhoods and are able to bring issues forward, as uh, Denise mentioned. But this, we also have standing committees that focus on particular issues such as our events and working with the code enforcement and public works department on issues that affect our residents. We also have a communications committee and those help to bring in people who are not necessarily on the board, but they can serve on those committees and become more integral parts of of the organization. That 501 status also enables you to raise money too for things that maybe the city doesn't have to pay for or doesn't normally pay for, correct? Right. Basically, that gives us a chance to, um, you know, raise money and not have it taxable until a, a certain threshold. So our, our major source of income is the uh, modernism that you're familiar with by working with with uh, Eric before. So that is our, our major way of getting our funding. But it, we need to branch out and get some additional ways of doing that because it's very difficult, <laughs> as you can imagine, to organize and find people who are willing to open their door to 300 or 400 people trooping you know, in one day through their homes. So we are looking at different ways of, of raising money and having events that are, are fun and will attract people to that. Um, and there are 52 organizations, neighborhood organizations, as Denise said, um, but they are all different types of organizations. And some of them are more wealthy themselves, and some of them also struggle with fundraising. So we want to try to, to help them uh, become more robust as well. well. You know, when I hear a story like this, the, the one thing that keeps coming 
popping back into my mind is that you get all this done by getting people together in an era where it's difficult to have two people agree on any one thing anymore. It's awesome what you're doing. It really is awesome what you're doing and how you get people together. So let's continue here. Who else attends besides neighborhood representatives? There must be city officials too when you, uh, when you meet, right? Of course. And I think this is one of the most amazing things because typically and historically, the city manager has attended every single meeting. We meet once a month, uh, except in August. The city's dark in August, and we are too. And the city manager um, that we have now stays through the entire meeting, not just when his name appears on the agenda. There's a designated liaison from the police department and from the fire department, and those two representatives attend each time. We also have uh, the sustainability director who comes, and that's a very important part of our city's uh, focus now on becoming more green, having that relationship with the city of of being able to know how to process your waste, <laughs> that sort of thing, uh, is becoming more and more of an, of an issue. We also have a CERT, um, uh, emergency preparedness um, officer, and he attends the meetings. Disposal people come and the water department people come. All of those things are connected to the livability of the city and beginning to become much more interested and concerned about preserving, uh, you know, our environment. Yeah, the level of organization here is just absolutely amazing to me. Does this happen in your town, Kev? No. No, it doesn't happen in my town either. Not at all. We're not that big a town, but uh, it seems like it would even be easier to do it in, in like, where you live or where I live, you know? Well, both of them gave points that they actually communicate between the code enforcement checking on permits. My question is for both of you, would, would you come to Bucks County and do that? <laughs> Just throwing that <laughs> out there. You guys want to come to Pennsylvania <laughs> and work your magic? No response on that one. <laughs> <laughs> they're not coming. <laughs> no, they're not coming. Okay. What types of activities and events does 1PS engage? I know I know about, and, and it's wonderful, uh, Modernism Week and a Mini Mod Week that happens in October, and I'll be there for that. As a matter of fact, wonderful. But um, yeah, yeah, looking forward to it. So, what are some of the other types of activities that One PS engages in? Well, I would say that the, one of the most important events um, in bringing the whole city together, not just the members of the neighborhood organizations, but it is our annual picnic. And it is co-sponsored with the city, and it's in one of our lovely parks. And we usually have close to a 1,000 people attending that. And anyone who comes, whether they're in a designated neighborhood or not, gets a free lunch and we have all kinds of interesting things like hot air balloons rides for the people who come. We have dog dress up <laughs> contest that's pretty funny. But yeah, I'm sure that's it, wild. <laughs> yes, it is. So in addition to the picnic, there are performances by youth groups sometimes and so we have a big stage set up and that sort of thing. Of course, all of the officials are, come from the city, and we have booths set up, various organizations that are other nonprofits, and also the neighborhoods attend that and oftentimes are promoting their own services that our neighbors involve, uh, appreciate. In addition to the picnic, we have an annual Festival of Lights parade. Some of the neighborhoods 
have an entry and march in that parade. And it's along with all the city officials and a lot of other organizations with marching bands and all sorts of fun things that are in that, especially the giant helium balloons that we wrangle to entertain all the uh, attendants at the, the event. In what ways does your organization, 1PS, provide the city council or the city staff with input on issues of concern? Oftentimes the issues are, uh, bubble up, you know, from an individual neighborhood, but we also have issues, of course, that would affect the entire city. So what we can do in a number of ways is to work through some of those issues with uh, our existing standing committees. But we also have uh, the provisions in our bylaws to bring forward issues to the city council or to um, city staff. If we're going to take a position on something and want to share that position, then we can put it forth in writing. But when we do a recommendation, we typically uh, would do it in writing. And sometimes it comes directly from the board if we don't have time to go to the full membership because of the um, currency of the of the issue, then we can present it that way, just as taking a position, our position on it. But if we want to make a recommendation, it does require a vote of our uh, entire membership. So uh, that's how we can oftentimes address the concerns of the um, uh, residents. Okay. Well, th- thank you very, very much. That was a, pr- a pretty good explanation of, you know, the nuts and bolts of what happens with one P- uh, through 1PS. Megan, as vice president of the oldest neighborhood in Palm Springs, can you tell us which neighborhood that is and what that means to you? Yes. Hi. Um, thank you for having me on. And I am the vice president of the Desert Highland Gateway Estates Community Action Association, again, founded in 1967. I want to ask about your age, Megan, but you sound young. It's wonderful hearing about a younger generation taking up some very important roles in the city and community like Palm Springs and creating long-lasting impact. Yes, sure. So my neighborhood, uh, Desert Highland Gateway Estates, has a strong historical presence and is known for its various contributions to the city's development. Every year, the Black History Committee actually puts on a city tour that demonstrates these contributions. This year, I was lucky enough to participate in that tour. It's provided during Black History Month, so that was a lot of fun. My neighborhood also represents a diverse population of Black and Brown families, which is pretty neat because I'm Latina myself, and the neighborhood is made up of single-family homes and townhomes specifically. However, uh, I think the most interesting part of this is that my neighborhood is one of three that still cater to families and children. And this really creates a special needs that most other um, neighborhoods don't face, at least not in the same degree. Hmm. Okay. Let's look at the bigger picture. Can you tell me more about the varied compositions of the 52 neighborhood organizations that make up 1PS? Sure. Some of our 1PS neighborhoods, like Little Tuscany, sit beautifully on the hillside overlooking the San Jacinto Mountains and are known for their serene desert landscapes. Not to mention some cool cele- celebrities like Alvis Presley once lived in that neighborhood, which features both historic and modern homes. The Tennis Club neighborhood is made up of single-family residents and boutique hotels for the most part, centrally situated in downtown Palm Springs and contributes greatly to its local economy. In fact, I grew up at the Tennis Club. I learned to swim there 
and played tennis with my dad every summer there. Vista Las Palmas is a neighborhood known for its mid-century homes and social life. It's recognized every year in a big way during Modernism Week, essentially a week-long touring party celebrating the community's history and contributions to the modernist lifestyle. It's very popular, not to mention the amount of money raised and donated to various organizations. Finally, we have other neighborhoods such as Parkview Mobile Estates, which is a 55-plus community nestled against the mountains and near the Taquitz Creek Waterfall, which is actually one of my favorite gems in all of Palm Springs. It's just a beautiful waterfall, really quick to get to, and just fun to do with friends and family. That sounds like a really diverse composition of neighborhood organizations that make up uh, 1PS. And um, do all of them raise money for their own neighborhoods? Well, Ron, some of the neighborhood organizations are incorporated and others are not. Some are 501c4s or 501c3 nonprofits. And, you know, there's still some neighborhoods that are developing that status, like uh, Desert Highland Gateway Estates. Um, We're just waiting until we make our organization official in that respect before we raise any funds for our future projects. Interesting and and something very much that neighborhood organizations across the country should think about. Is there anything else you would like to share about your role of being one of the youngest members on the board of 1PS? I want to mention that what drew me to this organization is the inclusivity of its members and the desire for the organization to become better from the inside out. You can see that in the causes that we stand for and the assistance we provide to various initiatives such as youth camps, neighborhood beautification projects, and community leadership developments. No organization is perfect, but if we continue to include the voices of others, and you know, we do have a lot more work to do, but the great thing is that we're willing and we're able to adjust and remain agile, we will at least become almost perfect. Yeah, that's well said, well said. Do you know about the D.C.-based organization, Citizens United? You mentioned there's, uh, you know, there are a couple of, uh, a couple of neighborhoods uh, where uh, that are multi-generational with the older generation living with the younger generation and Generations United. That's what they're all about. That's what they're all about. We uh, interviewed them, uh, Donna Botts, who's the uh, head of it, uh, uh, two, three times, right, Kevin? Yes, we yeah, have. Two, three times. Um, actually, this is the first time that I've heard of that organization, Ron, but I'll definitely take note of that and look into it because if, you know, the neighborhood can uh, be impacted by something, you know, like that, that is that will uh, provide resources or um, some kind of support to elevate the community as a whole. That would be great. So thank you. Yeah, Donna Botts leads it. You can tell her that we you heard about her through us, and uh, they're very, very... She, she's amazing. Yeah, she's amazing. She's amazing. She makes things happen. So, Eric, you're up. Eric, the last time we spoke, you told us of some of the activities your Twin Palms neighborhood was engaged in specifically for modernism, and modernism Week. And by the way, Twin Palms, was uh, the neighborhood was designed by Bill Kreisel, very famous architect who actually provided the momentum for uh, for uh, mid-mod homes in in uh, in Palm Springs. Are there other types of programs your neighborhood has developed? Like so many neighborhoods in Palm Springs, most of our finances come from the proceeds of Modernism Week tours that we lead here. 
And like most of those neighborhoods, we return a lot of the proceeds to the city and to other service organizations. So some of the things that Twin Palms has funded through, uh, with Modernism Week money are things like um, we, we have a, a fire station in our uh, neighborhood, and we asked the men and women stationed there if there was anything that we could purchase for them that the city isn't likely to buy for them. And, and over the years, they've, uh, they've so far come up with three things. One was uh, a sound system for their lounge. One was uh, free weights for their fitness center. And the, the big one was a, a $1,500 chef's grills to, to complement their indoor uh, kitchen. Now they have a full outdoor kitchen as well. So we, we funded all of those. Uh, we have also funded uh, a portion of an early literacy program sponsored by, created by our public library. We've given money to the local animal shelter. Uh, several years ago, when the entire region was in the grips of a rather severe drought, the city identified the water usage for above-ground irrigation as one of its chief water wasters. And, they, and the city developed a program by which individuals or organizations could adopt trees and the adoption fee would pay to underground the irrigation for those for those trees and so twin palms um, adopted two city trees uh, which paid for their underground irrigation. One of the, the darkest, uh, saddest episodes in the city's history happened about seven years ago when two of our police officers were, were ambushed and killed. And the Police Officers Association created a fund for uh, the families of those officers and uh, Twin Palms gave generously to the, to the funds for set up for each of those families. Uh, but as I mentioned, Twin Palms is not alone in, in doing this. Vista Las Palmas, a neighborhood that Megan mentioned a moment ago, they have funded the uh, canine program for the police department. They've purchased defibrillators for our fire department. We have a place called the Neurovitality Center, which is a treatment center for stroke patients, uh, which Vista Las Palmas has, has uh, supported. We have an air museum, which is essentially an, an aviation museum, which they support, and, and several other programs over the years. That, that neighborhood, too, has, has donated tens of thousands of dollars over the years. One of, one of the more interesting uh, donations was, was from a neighborhood called Racket Club Estates. Uh, several several years ago now, they funded the travel expenses for the Palm Springs High School marching band so that they could march in the um, presidential inauguration parade um, um, several years ago. And that was that was so important for the kids and so important uh, for the visibility of Palm Springs. And it was really a unique way to to give back to the city. Just several days ago, uh, our Indian Canyons neighborhood had an article written, or actually it was a thank you note published in the paper by the Foundation for the Palm Springs Unified School District for that neighborhood support. And uh, I think it was Denise that mentioned the Tuckwich River Yacht Club. And there is no 
river and there certainly are no yachts here, but it's made up of about four neighborhoods that for almost 20 years now, they have been cleaning up debris from, from a wash, from all of the water that runs down the side of the hills and, and uh, collects debris in the wash. And uh, these neighborhoods work with other service organizations to, to help keep it clean. And again, the, the key thing here is that every one of these items that I mentioned, they're all incremental to the city budget. They're all independent of the city and they're all funded exclusively either by 1PS or by the neighborhoods individually. Yeah, that I think is a really amazing part. Tell me, uh, 1PS, the magazine, which you are, uh, you created, you, you're the, um, the kingpin there. It projects a super image of Palm Springs. Can our listeners view it online? Yeah, and just to clarify, I, I'm actually the co-creator. My my other creator of it what was a woman named Lisa Middleton, who at the time was the was chairing One PS, and she's the woman that Kathy referred to as going on to be uh, on city council and and now the former mayor. So she and I created it. I was the creative director and author of all three editions of it. The print edition is sold out, but it is available for both viewing and downloading online, so anybody can can uh, take a a cruise through that. It has a rather long and unwieldy URL. In short, if somebody really has the the guts, they can go to the Palm Springs Life website and uh, and uh, navigate your way through there and get to it. But I'll, I'll supply you the URL. As a model for other cities that may be considering something like this, when the idea was first floated in the early 2000s about the city uh, developing a way to formally recognize duly created uh, neighborhood organizations, the, the city council was split on that. There was a faction that felt that they would be creating their own shadow government and that it would be the bane of their existence. And um, and so the, the subcommittee that helped create the proposal was actually made up of one advocate for uh, for this initiative and one person who was skeptical of it. Obviously, it passed. And the, the bottom line here is 12 years after it passed, 60%, the majority of our city council were made up of people that were at one time their neighborhood representatives to 1PS. So far from being a shadow government, what they created was a farm team for city council. And so, yeah, so we're, we're really, we're really uh, proud of that. And, uh, and and if I have one more really last thing, and then I'll and I'll get out of here. I mentioned before about the police officers that uh, that were killed several years ago. I think it, nothing speaks more loudly to the stature and the regard with which the neighborhoods and one PS is held, but for the fact that. Our police chief at the time, who was so loved and so respected, he was the most shaken individual in the entire city by this turn of events. And one of his reactions was to call a meeting with 1PS and the neighborhoods and to talk through what we as organizations could do to help get the the city through this period of mourning. And so the person that we turn to for our safety and security in his time of need, he turned to 1PS and he turned to the neighborhood. And I don't think anything speaks louder than that as to the, the stature, the stature where held. So uh, that's 
that's my piece. Thank you again for Sta- having me Stand on. together in good times and bad. Okay. Eric, Megan, Kathy, Denise, thank you very, very much. This has been very, very informative. Uh, I'll see you in uh, in Palm Springs in October. Well, I know I look forward to it. Yeah, me too. Thank you, Ron. Thanks, Ron. Thanks, thank everyone. You. Thank you, everybody. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Everything. All right. Hey, Kev, great news on how our listeners can tap into their home equity without taking a loan, making monthly payments, or piling on debt. With Unison, they get up to 17.5% of their home's value to remodel, pay off debt, buy a vacation home, whatever. You have Unison, right? Yep, paid off medical debt. Unison's terms were perfect for me, especially zero monthly payments for up to 30 years. Zero monthly payments? How do they make money? When you sell your home, you pay them the original co-investment amount plus a percentage of the change in your home's value up to 30 years later. How do we learn more? Go to unison.com backslash YVH, which stands for Your Valuable Home. Again, that's unison.com backslash YVH. Additional terms and conditions apply. Visit unison.com backslash YVH for details. Remember the name Provia, your single source for professional class, entry doors, storm doors, patio doors, vinyl and wood-clad vinyl windows, vinyl siding, manufactured stone and metal roofing, products made with latest technology and honest old-world craftsmanship, the Provia way. That's this week's podcast. Your Valuable Home comes to you every week on the new Pod City Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, and all other popular podcast directories. If you want us to share your home improvement project or horror story, email me at kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. That's kevin at yourvaluablehome.net. And don't forget to tell your friends and family about Your Valuable Home, the weekly podcast that's all about building wealth in residential real estate and hiring the right contractor to do the right job at the right price. 